Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. I don't know if you've ever like sat down and done like a survey of your calendar and you're like, when did I start doing that? You get to this place where you're like, I have filled my life with so many things. And Lent is a season to prepare ourselves by scaling back. So we're preparing ourselves intentionally for Easter, which is coming at the end of March, March 31st. But in this season, we don't want to just come crashing into Easter and hooray, big celebration, what's the big deal? What we want to do is intentionally prepare our hearts. And so what we do, and I've given you these as just something you can put on your refrigerator, put on your bathroom mirror, but in, in the season of Lent, we intentionally abstain from something so that we can make space to engage in something. You can do this if you want. You don't have to if you don't want. This is entirely up to you. Um, I would recommend it. It's a really helpful thing to do. You'll hear people that are like, oh, I'm giving up chocolate for Lent. If that's what you want to do, that's what, it doesn't really make space for something else of engagement with Jesus. So the point of this, this card is to help you to take steps toward Jesus. We rid our lives of things. Some people, you know, I'm getting off Facebook or I'm getting, you know, I'm gonna stop watching Netflix every day for, for 40 days leading up to Easter. And then in place of that, in place of that abstaining, I'm going to engage in something. So maybe I'm gonna engage in a practice of prayer or maybe I'm gonna engage in a practice of reading scripture or engage in a practice of just sitting in silence with the Lord. That's the idea. Make sense? Anybody unclear about what this is for? You're not going to give these to me. It's all for you, okay? If you have questions, I'd be happy to help you answer those questions. Cool? Fantastic. Fantastic. So I'm a little discombobulated and behind um, because usually I spend the morning on Sunday getting myself in a mindset ready to like stand up here and talk. And now I'm like still kind of in music mode. But in, as we begin this new series, I, I want to talk for a minute about what it would look like to live as a disciple, like as a real disciple. I, I was looking up uh, in preparation for Lent, and, and you see this, this conversation about, like, do we give things up? Do I only eat fish? Or do I eat fish on Fridays? How do I engage this season of Lent? How many of you going to a fish fry? How many of you have been to a fish fry already this year? <laughs> nice. Nice. But like, there's all of these things. And I saw this comment and it sort of like hit me. Is somebody in, in you know, I, I'm, I'm a just here for the comments kind of guy. Like somebody will say something on the internet and I'm like, ooh, wonder what people are going to say. Anybody else like that? Um, and this guy said, what if we just actually pretended to be close to Jesus all year? Like we engage these practices, right, for 40 days and everybody's all like, what, what's, what if we were just actually disciples all year? And that struck me because I think a lot of us are like, okay, I have my seasons, right? I do the season of Lent and I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to get to Easter and I'm going to celebrate. And then we, we get into the season after Easter's Pentecost and all of this. And the guy says, what if we just were disciples of Jesus all year? And I started to think, and maybe you have had this thought. I don't know if maybe, I hope this thought came to your mind. What would it cost me to do that? Right? Like, some of you, I handed you this card, 
and you were like, there's a cost you're asking me to pay to do this, right? There's a cost that this is going to come with. But for 40 days, I can do this. You know, I can, I can deal with the cost of this for 40 days. But what would the cost be to do this my whole life? What would be the cost to, to follow Jesus as a disciple through my whole life? For the season of Lent, we're doing this series that we're calling All In. And as we prepare ourselves again to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus when we get to Easter, we're going to look at a section of Scripture where Jesus is, is headed to the cross. If you look at Luke chapter 9, you don't have to turn there right now, but if you look at Luke chapter 9, there's a, a passage near the end of the chapter where Jesus turns his face toward Jerusalem. And he intentionally sets himself toward Jerusalem, knowing, and he says in, in the scripture leading up to, to what we're going to look at today, knowing that he's going there to die. Knowing that he's going there to die. And he sets his face to this purpose. And then as we go toward the, the crucifixion in the book of Luke, what you're going to find is that Jesus begins to teach very, very clearly about what it means to be a disciple. Up until chapter 9, he's teaching these guys who are the, the 12, and he's teaching the, the, the people around uh, his, his like closest circle. But we get to chapter 14, and Jesus begins to say, this is what it will cost. This is what it will cost to be my disciple. And so we're going to look at that, and we're going to follow Jesus to the cross over the next six weeks. And so we're beginning today in chapter 14, and in the message, I'm calling this message, The Cost to Be All In. The Cost to Be All In. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at Scripture. So Lord Jesus, I do welcome you into this space. And Holy Spirit, we just say that we need you. That you have invited us into a life with Jesus that necessitates your presence. And so, Lord, would you come? Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would give me your words to speak in this space. And God, I pray that people would be compelled to greater intimacy with you, Jesus, that they would come to know you in a way that they have not. So come, Lord, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn your Bible, if you have one, to Luke chapter 14. There's Bibles up here. Would it be helpful if we like put those like further back? There's people that are like, they're like, man, I really would like to grab one, but I'm not walking up in the front. Maybe we'll put those further back. There's Bibles on either side. You can turn your Bible to Luke chapter 14. If you have a Bible, you can take one of those if it would help you. We're going to be looking at verses 25 to 35. It's Luke chapter 14. And here's what we read. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying this person began to build 
and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war with another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. You know, Jesus has been doing all kinds of things. If we're leading up to chapter 14, leading up to this passage, Jesus has been healing the sick. He's been raising the dead, casting out demons. He's been going all over. People have been captivated by his teaching. You see the Sermon on the Mount and thousands are there to see Jesus teach. And he gains a following everywhere he goes. People come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons, right? Some people came to Jesus because they needed to be healed. Others come to Jesus because somebody in their family needed to be healed. Some people are following Jesus because they had demons cast out of them and they've been set free. Others had come to Jesus and follow him because they had seen demons cast out of someone. Others followed Jesus because someone had been raised to life and they'd never seen that before. There's all kinds of reasons that people follow Jesus. And Jesus is fine with people doing that for a time. But eventually he says some things that typically set people off. I don't know if you've read through the Gospels enough to see. Anytime the crowd starts to get a little bit too big, Jesus says something crazy. Have you seen this? Like in John, he gets this, this large crowd and he eventually he says, unless you eat my flesh and you drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And everybody goes, is that metaphorical? Is he serious? That sounds like cannibalism. Is anybody, anybody else bothered by the fact that he just... And so they're like, hey, Jesus, that's a, that's a hard thing for you to say. Is that what you really meant? And he says, yes, unless you consume my flesh and you drink my blood, you can have no part of me. And in John, it says, the crowd wandered off. And it gets just to the 12, and he says, do you guys want to leave too? And they say, well, where would we go? You have the words of eternal life. Where would we go? There's nothing else that, would, that we could do. So every time the crowd gets a little bit too big, Jesus says something to thin the crowd. It's the opposite of church growth model. You guys have seen like, like you, there's this, this model of church growth, right? Like we get you to come and then we'll, we'll hand you a connect card. You'll give us your information and then we'll email you and we'll call you and we're going to try to get you to connect to a, a group, another group of people and we'll do this other thing so that hopefully you'll stay long enough to meet Jesus. I just like unveiled the last 40 years of church history. You don't realize how amazing that exposition was. But every church has, for, for, for the past 40 years, this has been the way that churches work, right? Like they've followed this pattern. It's like if we can just make it bigger, we will have been successful. If we can, people nowadays, they like laser light shows. Let's put lasers in the room. 
Let's fill the room with smoke so that the lasers look really cool. And I love that stuff. It sounds amazing. I just don't see it in Scripture. Because over and over and over, what Jesus does when the crowd gets too big is he says something crazy. And the response can only be, we either are following you because we've surrendered everything, or we're following you for something else. And Jesus wants no part of that. So he has this, you see this thing over and over and over. He, it says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus. That's how it starts. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And they've come for all kinds of reasons. And he turns to them and he says something crazy. Or at least it seems crazy. He says, you guys have been following me for good reason, maybe. I mean, that's true of a lot of us here. We have come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe you grew up around Jesus. You went to vacation Bible school. You've been in youth group, and you did the thing, and, and the next thing you know, there was like the confirmation thing, and then, you know, we, we kind of went along with that, and my whole family's always gone to church, and so I've just always done it. And maybe some of you are following Jesus, and, and the reason you're here is because, like, what would my parents say if they knew I wasn't in church? And so you're here for that reason. Maybe some of you have had experiences of Jesus. You were healed miraculously. And so you're here for that reason. We've all come to Jesus for all kinds of reasons. And that's a good thing. But Jesus always calls us to more. Every time Jesus makes a crowd large, he says something. And if what he was trying to do was just have a large crowd, what he says next makes no sense. I want to read this again to you. Look at verse 25. It says, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. If what he wanted was a crowd, why does he turn around and say something crazy to these people? How does that hit your ears? You imagine, like, I'm following Jesus. I've seen some things. I've been around. I've done the right things. I go to church on Sunday, and I read my Bible on occasion, and I'm trying to read that life journal plan, but it's way too much reading in any given day, so I've switched to the express plan because it's a little bit less. You've done that, right? <laughs> It's a little bit less. It'll take me a little bit less time, but I'm at least reading the Bible every day. I try to pray. I try to give. I try to do these things. Imagine you're following Jesus, and he turns around, and you're doing the best you know how to do. And he says something crazy. Like, unless you hate your father and mother, you can't be my disciple. Unless you hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. He says something crazy. If what he wanted was a large crowd, he'd be like, good job, guys. You're doing, you're doing the best you can, and it's, it's amazing, and your family's great, too. They're so beautiful. They're following you, too. That's not what he says. He says something crazy. 
And he thins the crowd. He's not telling them they actually have to, just so we're clear. He's not saying you actually have to hate your family. He's not saying you actually have to hate your life. He's saying your devotion to me, Jesus, not me. I'm nobody. (laughs) Your devotion to Jesus should be so high that if people were to compare your devotion to Jesus to the way you feel about your family, they'd be like, it seems like you even... Like the comparison, you hate your family. You hate your life. You have counted all of that so much as loss for the sake of Jesus. That we would say, oh man, this is like, there's no comparison. That's what he's trying to say. And then he says in verse 27, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. This is not the the message a lot of times we hear. A cross is an instrument of Roman execution and torture. And he looks at these people who are probably doing the best they know how. And he says, unless you count your life as loss, you can't be my disciple. You can't be. You can keep following all you want, but eventually you'll float away. Maybe it's helpful if we talk about what it means to be a disciple. See, because a lot of us have been around Jesus for a long time. Some of us have been around Jesus for a short time, and we're really not sure what we're thinking about this. But the call to belong to Jesus is not to follow him. The call to belong to Jesus is to be a disciple. So what does he mean about being a disciple? The word disciple really just is maybe a a more 2024 word would be an apprentice, right? I was looking, you know, you can apprentice in basically anything. I I used to think it was like just like, you know, hand trades. I don't know why this is the symbol for hand trades. (laughs) This is what it just looks like, I guess. I don't know. But like you can apprentice for all kinds of things. In my mind, I think blacksmith. But you can apprentice to be an electrician, you can apprentice, uh, apparently, to be an accountant. I don't know how that works, but apparently you can do it. And all an apprentice does is they find somebody who's already doing the thing, and they hang out long enough to become the person who does that thing the way that the person that they were apprenticing to does it. Does that make sense? If you are apprenticing to be an electrician, you hang out with an electrician, You put your hand on all the wrong things and get shocked a thousand times and the person's like, don't do that. You do it like this and this is how you don't get shocked. And eventually, over time, you become an electrician like the one that you were apprenticing to. That's what it means. It means to be a learner. So to be a disciple of Jesus is to be someone who hangs out with Jesus enough to do the things Jesus does in the way Jesus does them. To become like Jesus. That's what it is to be a disciple. It's not enough to just follow him around and watch him do cool things. Unfortunately, the way church has worked over the last 40 years, it has built people who want to follow Jesus around and watch him do really cool things. That's, been the, the, that's the thing that we have built collectively. Not us, I hope. But collectively in this country, we've built this thing that makes people who like to watch Jesus do really cool things 
But the aim of a disciple is to reproduce oneself so that someone else lives the way that you would live. That's what Jesus is doing. So when Jesus turns around to the crowd and he says, unless you hate your very life, what he's saying is, you can't do this if you love your own things more than you love me. You can't. Because eventually, the choice is going to be like, is it my comfort? Or is it what Jesus calls me to? Is it prosperity? And feeling great about the way my, my bank account looks? Or is it the things that Jesus calls me to? That's, that's the choice, always. Jesus calls people to be disciples, not followers. But here's the thing. Again, contrary to the way church has worked in the last 40 years, Jesus doesn't want you to do it in an emotional frenzy. He doesn't want you to make that choice in an emotional frenzy where we get the, you know, the, the pad is playing in the background. With every head bowed and every eye closed. Right? Do you know this one? We're just, some of you want to give your life to Jesus. That's not how Jesus does it. He says, I want you to count what this is going to cost. Because the cost is high. And I don't want you to start this and not finish this. So I want you to make a very conscious decision. And so he tells these two really cool stories, right? He says, count the cost. And here's what he says. He says, suppose once one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? Now, when he's talking about a tower here... It's not like, you know, the city chooses to build a tower someplace. If you had a house or a vineyard around your house and you wanted to protect it, you would build a watchtower. And so what he's saying is, if you want to protect your house, these are good things. You want to protect your vineyard. You want to keep people out and keep, you know, people from stealing from you. You would build a watchtower. He says, suppose you want to build a tower, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you. The person began to build and was not able to finish. Think about that for a minute. If you are living in the first century and you're building a tower to protect your vineyard and you start and you're constructing the thing and it gets to be about that high and you're out of money and you go, huh, I was hoping to build a bigger tower than that, but I can't afford anything else. It's a little bit like the connect space that I started to build. This, this could really be, if you wanted to build a connect space, won't you first sit down and estimate the cost? Yes, we could, we could go down that road. But Jesus' concern is that you will start building this thing, and what will be left is this monument to your folly. You started building and everybody that goes by goes, <laughs> look at that, started to build a tower and couldn't afford it. The thing Jesus is saying is, if you start this and you don't complete it, you're going to look ridiculous to everyone around. And then he tells another story. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. When he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him, excuse me, with 20,000, if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. 
What he's saying is, deliberately calculate what this is going to cost you. Because there is a cost, and if you start and are not able to finish, it'll be ridiculous. If you start to go to war with this king over here who outnumbers you, it's going to be like a massacre. And if that's the case, you should probably ask for terms of peace so that you all at least will survive. Jesus' concern is that people make a well-informed decision. It's different than the way that we've done it over the last 40 years in the church, friends. Jesus wants people to make an informed decision. Will you be a disciple or won't you? And don't decide right now. Some of you have heard Jerry say that, right? She asks, she invites you to do things, and she goes, and don't decide right now. Go pray about it. We want you to make an informed decision. And the cool thing is, the kind thing about Jesus is he allows a space for that. Jesus allows you to hang out here while you're making a decision. He allows you to watch people get healed, and maybe you get healed. He allows you to watch people live a kingdom life, even if you're not ready to do that. He's kind. He lets you hang around long enough to decide whether or not you want to do this, whether or not the cost is worth it. He doesn't say, hey, it's going to cost a lot. Make a decision whether you know what the benefit is or not. He lets you hang around long enough to experience peace. He lets you hang around long enough to experience the blessing of his presence. He lets you hang around long enough to get set free from some demonic things. He lets you hang around long enough to experience joy and freedom. But the question always comes, what are you going to do with it? That's always the question that Jesus calls us to. Because eventually, he wants you to make an informed decision. And so if you're here and you do not yet know Jesus, can I just say, personally, you're so welcome here. You're so welcome here. If you don't yet know Jesus, you're so welcome here. And you're welcome to hang out and get to know Jesus at the pace that it takes you to make a well-informed decision. But eventually... Jesus asks you to make a decision. And here's the cool thing. It's not like my cell phone bill where they tell me one cost and then I get the bill and it's something else. Have you seen this? I just booked an Airbnb for my parents. I'm not sure why they don't book their own Airbnbs. That's okay. That's a whole other story. That'll be a family conversation over the summer. Um, but I just booked this Airbnb for my parents. Um, and... I, I told them one price because Airbnb told me this is the cost for the week and, you know, whatever, it's this house in Canada. And so we're like, oh, this is going to be great. You know, this is the cost. And then I hit the book button. And it was not the cost that it said on the front side. And there's like cleaning fees and there's taxes and other taxes and other fees total. Have you seen this? It's not just Airbnb that does it, right? It's everybody that does it. It's like, this is what the cost is. One of the things I loved about being in England when we were there is they, the cost on the tag is what it cost you. I was like, oh, this is amazing. 
Jesus is not like Airbnb. Jesus tells you the whole cost up front. He says, this is the cost. And here's what he says. Verse 33. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Does that bother you? That word everything? Is that upsetting to you? He says, here's the cost. Make your informed decision. Here's the cost. Everything. Everything. What does it cost to be my disciple? Everything. Everything. He doesn't say, well, it costs some things, and later on it'll cost more, and then later on it'll cost, and we'll eventually get to everything. So what does it cost? Everything. Just up front with the cost. It's interesting if you think about it in those terms. What it means to be a disciple of Jesus is it costs everything. And if you think about it in those terms, that it costs everything, the other things that the Bible says are actually easier. You know one of the sermons that nobody wants to preach is the sermon about giving, right? None of you really want to hear it probably either, right? Nobody wants to preach that message. Nobody wants to hear that message. Because it's like, wait a minute, hold on. Jesus expects me to give money, and I don't really understand how that works. Here's the thing. If you have already paid the cost for everything, what's 10% of your income? If you've already agreed to the cost of everything, when Jesus says, hey, I want you to go move to this place and be a missionary in this city. I want you to go move to this place and plant a church. I want you to go be at this place and do this thing for me. And you look at it and you go, gosh, that means I have to like give up my career. I have aspirations, Jesus. If you've already counted the cost, that costs everything. He said, okay, I'm willing to pay the everything cost. Then when he says, I need you to hand me your career. Because the thing I've built you to do is this. You go, okay. We get grief. You go, okay, I've already said yes. If you think about it in those terms, think for a minute about the, the, the uh, 12 becoming 11 and then becoming 12 again apostles. They said yes to everything and all but one of them gets killed for this. How do you follow Jesus to that point if you have not said, yes, I'm willing to pay the cost of everything? It's the cost. Everything. But he finishes with this word of caution. He says, salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. He says, worse than people who have not paid, who have not counted the costs are people who start as a disciple. And then they run out of the money. <laughs> the people who have decided to do this too quickly. And they get to the other side and now they're out. 
And they get to the point where the cost has now actually gotten too high. We're not now playing in, in theoreticals. And they walk with Jesus long enough to get to the point where it's like, I'm not paying that cost. He says, what good are you? You don't do the thing anymore that you were built to do. In the early church, Christians who were willing to pay the cost of their lives were like celebrated. And if you've ever read any church history, I, listen, if you're a part of the church, it's like not knowing your family history. I think it's worth reading. Like, if you don't know where your family comes from, like, it, it changes understanding of who you are. Reading church history, I think, is so valuable but in the early church where the cost that Jesus asked them to pay, people actually were having to pay the cost. The odds that you guys are going to get killed for your faith, very low, very low. In the early church, the odds that you were going to lose your life for your faith is pretty high. And some of the stories in the early church of people who were asked to give of their lives and who would not turn from Jesus to save their own lives there's amazing stories. I encourage you to read them first 200 to 300 years of church history. But the flip of that was people who, to spare their own lives, renounced Jesus. Like, I follow Jesus until it's actually going to cost me my life. Those people, there was no space left for them. Because it has cost all the rest of us up to and including our lives. Some of us have watched people killed for their faith and you to save your own neck. There was no space left for them. The question to all of us is will we just follow Jesus as long as it's convenient, as long as the entertainment value is high enough, which if you haven't already figured it out, that's not that high I mean, I'm wearing a red shirt today. It's different than the normal blue shirt I wear. This is the entertainment you get. <laughs> well, we follow Jesus so long as we're entertained and as so long as we're, we're not asked too much. Or will we actually take Jesus up and say, I'll pay the cost. I have counted the cost. You say it's everything. I'm willing to pay that cost to become your disciple? That's the question to all of us. It's the question to you if you're just starting. It's the question to you if you've been following Jesus for 30 and 40 years. What will you do with Jesus? What informed decision will you make? Because here's the thing. This story ends at the cross and then continues on through to resurrection. You should never escape the cross part of this. What will you do? This is the anti-church growth message. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.